Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Nine states, 60 sticks. I thank y'all for the blessing, folks. Chuck Oliver Show. We talk college football year round. If we get in the DeLorean and go back to 1982, I know where I was New Year's Eve. Uh, like I was a lot of New Year's Eves or whenever the Peach Bowl. Growing up in Atlanta, if you wanted to go to the Peach Bowl, you could kind of go to the Peach Bowl. Um, it was not in the hierarchy of game. It was not a good bowl. It was not a good stadium. The field was hard, uh, but you could go. And so Iowa 28, Tennessee 22. Uh, different bowl experience awaits four decades plus later. And my goodness, what a different environment. The first thing I want to know is who's playing. What do you mean who's playing? Iowa and Tennessee? No, no, no. Who from Iowa and who from Tennessee will play? Uh, there's bigger picture items to talk about. Want to get on right now from Go Balls 247. It's Ryan Callahan. Ryan, welcome back, friend. How are you? Hey, doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, let's talk Tennessee and the current state of the program. And do you have the running tally of who's in and who's out for the bowl game? Uh, yeah, we, we have an idea. We're still waiting, awaiting word on a few guys. Uh, it certainly looks like Tennessee's going to have an entirely new, uh, well, almost an entirely new starting secondary, certainly a new starting secondary next year. A couple of those guys who were in there last year look like they will be playing in this game, though. Gabe Judy Lally will stick around at corner, it looks like, and then Jalen McCullough, uh, the starting safety, will stick around. Otherwise, new starters in the secondary for that group with uh, people leaving for the portal. And then, uh, and, and then we'll see, obviously, you know, Tyler Barron and a bunch of other noteworthy players have, have headed for the portal uh, as well, several others, I should say. And then still waiting to see what Joe Milton is going to do for this game. That's kind of the big one. He's yet to announce officially that he's playing in this game. He's still practicing with the team. But I also, knowing how Josh Heupel approaches these types of decisions and just announcing who's going to be playing and who's not, wouldn't surprise me if there's still a chance Joe Milton could opt out of this game and leave Nico Iamaliava to make his first career start, which would obviously make this exciting for a lot of Tennessee fans. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but until it's ruled out, I'm not, I'm not taking that possibility off the table because uh, they, they're kind of cagey with announcements like that sometimes. Yeah, and I was listening to or reading, actually, Coach Heupel's comments. And I was like, oh, and he even got in a reference to how things used to be. Um, yep. <laughs> so I was like, good for you, Coach. Fight the fight, man. Um, so he's like everybody else, and they're going to – and it's actually – you're right. It would be a favor almost if Joe Milton was like, you know what, I'm going to set out. Um, he actually could use a an additional pro day in the bowl game, yep. but uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, how the Vols do on signing day, like overall? It's hard to gauge because of how many kids kids you know we talk about that will actually be around for the season in which they play but uh inside the building what's their satisfaction level yeah i think they still feel they've got a, a pretty good class it's, that really keeps keeps everything on the same trajectory that, that people feel tennessee has been on for the past couple of years now there's no doubt you look at this class and it's and there were just some missed opportunities there really were because there were several big time battles Tennessee could have won back in the summer and even some down the stretch that 
any one or especially two of those going Tennessee's way could have really made this a special class for Tennessee. Instead, they end early signing day ranked 13th nationally in the 24-7 sports composite team rankings, which is not not what Tennessee fans are used to calling a major success. I think they consider that kind of status quo pretty average. But I, I also think we have to look at recruiting classes a little differently now. With the transfer portal, if you come up a position, you know, a guy short at a certain position or in Tennessee's case, maybe three positions, probably you could argue they came up a little bit short. That's not as big a deal because it's so easy to patch up those needs now. I think it's more about who you get in the top half of your class, maybe more so than ever. And when you look at those guys, Tennessee got some really good players that are going to play a lot of football for them over the next few years. Two five-stars, Mike Matthews, a wide receiver from down there in Atlanta, Jordan, Jordan Ross, an edge rusher from Alabama. Both of those guys, I think they're going to have a really, really good careers at Tennessee and then nine four-stars to go along with them. So a lot of good players in this class, just it could have been better for Tennessee if they'd hit on just a couple more of those big-time players they were in on. And I was going to ask you specifically about wide receiver. You mentioned Mike Matthews, five-star out of a place called Parkview, um, and big, tall kid. They had another big, tall kid, a four-star out of South Carolina sign, and then a really big, tall kid transfer from Tulane. I mean, obviously, that's nothing new. Josh Heupel's likes, you know, the long guys on the outside. But talk about the profile of these receivers coming in, including the kid with experience already out of Tulane. Yeah, the, uh, now Braylon Staley, I, w- I wouldn't say he's a tall guy. He's, he's maybe in the six-foot range, probably a slot guy out of South Carolina, but they're really excited about both of those receiver signees. Mike Matthews, you mentioned. Yep. A lot of people thought he was a safety at one point early in his recruitment, but he, he saw himself as a wide receiver and kind of sold himself as that this past year and really showed as a senior why. You know, He was really good on the seven-on-seven circuit too, but I think he could really thrive in Tennessee's offense, really good fit for what they do. And then Braylon Staley, our guys, one of our guys, our director of scouting, Andrew Ivins, just saw him at the Shrine Bowl of the Carolinas last week. And after watching one day of practice, came away calling him his alpha dog, meaning he was the best player on the field. Um, thought he was really good, and we moved him up into the top 100 in our rankings. So didn't get enough receivers. That's one of the positions where they came up short, but the two they got I think are really good. And then they add another out of the transfer portal yesterday, kind of their early top target at that position in the portal uh, Chris Brazel uh, out of Tulane. Uh, we have him rated as a four-star transfer over 700 yards last year as a redshirt freshman at Tulane. He mentioned last week on Twitter that he had 38 schools that had already reached out to him. So clearly a coveted guy in the portal and beat out some, some pretty good programs to get him. So really nice pickup there. And they've done a good job of addressing a few really important needs already in the portal. Three four-star transfers, according to 24-7 Sports, already committed to Tennessee. What is the idea for Marcus Gorey, uh, listed as athlete? But, um, I mean, obviously they mean anything. Have, have they declared that? Yeah, he's, he's a cornerback. He's going to be a start, starting off at corner. Could play anywhere in the secondary in theory. He was kind of a nickel in high school. But yep. he's a he's a six-foot-one corner that was timed at a four-four-five at one of Tennessee's camps more than a year ago. So I think that's another guy that they feel is kind of a steal in this class, currently a three-star. But uh, I think there's a case to be made for him as a four-star in the final rankings. He's a – He's another one they're, they're really pumped about in state. All right, let's get philosophical here because I want to know what you think going forward. What really is the Tennessee offense, like the 22 offense or the 23 offense? And tell me why it was so different. Was it just the running ability of Hooker versus what they wanted Milton to do? Was it the blocking, particularly the middle of the line early in the season, and he got spooked? Was it the injury to McCoy? Like, why was it so different and – and what do you think it's supposed to be going forward? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's one they've obviously got to answer next year. And, and there's there's a, a sense, I think, among fans that, that a lot of this was, was Joe Milton, uh, fair or not. I, I don't know that that's completely fair. Um, but I do think he did take a step back at quarterback with the, the move from Hendon Hooker to, to Joe Milton. So that was part of it. I think receiver play was part of it, too. I think people really underestimated. I think there was this sense because of how wide open Tennessee's receivers were a lot in 22 that they would be just fine without Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman, and that turned out to be not accurate at all. They had a harder time replacing those guys than they thought they would. Yeah. Squirrel White looks like a good player. Brew McCoy, we know what they, they have in him, but Ramel Keaton didn't have quite the year they thought he would. Dante Thornton out of the transfer portal was a bit of a disappointment early on, took a while to settle in. So they just weren't that dynamic at receiver compared to a year before, and I think that really hurt them. And also the first month of the season, especially that Florida game that hurt them so much in hindsight, they really had an ugly-looking offensive line at that time without Cooper Mays, and they patched that up once Mays got back. But early in the season, it was a struggle there. So just a few things kind of combining. But to me, it started with quarterback and receiver play. Just a, a noticeable step back, obviously, without Hennon Hooker, Jalen Hyde, and Cedric Tillman. You'd mentioned the, I mean, the secondary. I mean, if you look at the portal list from Tennessee, you're like corner, corner, safety, corner. Um, Anybody else in the portal that you think might be particularly impactful that maybe fans outside the uh, Tennessee fan base may not know? I mean, obviously Tyler Barron, but um, anybody else that, uh, or is it just all depth pieces mostly? Well, the, it, it's interesting you ask. I mean, obviously the transfer portal, sometimes those guys that are backups for, for one school can, can go be a starter at a new school. That's the, the reason a lot of these guys move on. Um, Tennessee did lose some starters. I mentioned Danico Slaughter, starting yeah. corner, goes to Arkansas. Tamarian McDonald played a lot of football for them at the star position. He's now at Ole Miss. Uh, will probably be a starter for them, it looks like. They've kind of revamped their secondary. Um, so some guys like that. And then also some intriguing players that were not starters this year, like Addison Nichols. He was a former four-star offensive lineman from down there in Atlanta. Um, and, and two years into the program, hadn't played as much as he thought he would. But I think there was still a thought that he might start for Tennessee next year with the Ollie Lane moving on at left guard. He goes to Arkansas with Sam Pittman, obviously, that, uh, had, had known him from his time at Georgia previously. And I think that Arkansas sees him as a, as a probable starter for them next season. So I think you'll see a lot of those guys playing at their next schools. Um, so I think you'll, uh, obviously in the SEC, Tyler Barron as well. So uh, there are going to be a lot of guys that, you know, a couple cases Tennessee will be playing against some of them and then and others, um, Ole Miss not on the schedule. So they won't have to run into Tyler Barron and Tamaria McDonald next year. So interesting that if we go back to 2021, I mean, you look and you look at the record and then you look at the, and it's almost the same. And 2021, I think Tennessee fans had the most fun at any fan base in America. And yeah. it's two years later and they're looking around, they feel all left out. I mean, it's, it's, it's strange what a little bit of success will do to a fan base, isn't it? It really is. You know, eight and four was viewed a lot differently the first time Butch Jones went eight and four. You know, to your point, that was kind of a, seen as a program on the upswing at that time in year three under Butch Jones, you know, maybe a missed opportunity that year, but their eight and four was as good as they had done. It was the high watermark for a good decade or so. And, and now, yeah, an 11 win season, people seeing what Tennessee's offense can do under Josh Heupel. And it's, it's just not the same when you see that offense struggling a bit, not putting up nearly the same numbers and then winning eight games. And, and again, especially that loss to Florida, I think that's one that just in hindsight, and I even thought it at the time was one that, didn't age well, and obviously without that yeah. game going that way, might have been seen as a better season. Nine and three would have been acceptable, but I think eight and four to a lot of people is a disappointment because they've won 11 games the year before. Ryan, thank you so much, man. Absolutely. Thank you, Chuck. Two, four, seven. It's Ryan Callahan. If we go back to 2021, I said record's almost the same. 
2021, Tennessee lost five games. Now, they lost to Pittsburgh, and that was with Joe Milton, and it was right after that that the change went to Hendon Hooker. Lost in in Gainesville, because they always lose in Gainesville. Um, that's just one of those things people say. And then they're like, yeah, but this year they're better. And then they go to Gainesville and they lose. Uh, had a home loss against Ole Miss. Got run in Tuscaloosa, even though that's a little misleading. And then the week of the Georgia game, Georgia's number one in America, and they're at home. And again, this was, it wound up being the fifth loss of the season and one an especially close game. Tennessee fans, that thing never happened. That game, I mean, the yeah, there were a bunch of points for Georgia and 17 for us, but at the outcome of the game, sure, but it's because Georgia's better. What's ahead? Look at us. Smell the balls. And then next season started, and the high-water mark was the Alabama thing. They had the home game against Alabama, and finally Nealon looked like Nealon, 100 and whatever, 1,000, 102,000 fireworks shooting off. And if you've ever been to Nealon Stadium, like in the upper part of it, brother, it is straight up. I don't know what the design choices you had when stadiums were built, but one of them was straight up apparently, and the guy in Knoxville chose it. And those fireworks shooting off the rim of the stadium, there's nothing else like it. And... Even losing those games against Georgia and then the mystery against South Carolina later. Man, team on the rise. You had a better record in 2023 than you did in 21. And Tennessee fans are looking around feeling like I said, they feel a little left out. Whereas in 2000, they had the most fun of any fan base in America, perhaps. So that's what it was. All right, we're going to take a quick break and uh, continue with more next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Friday on Chuck Oliver Show. Appreciate everybody coming here for your college football updates. And it's supposed to be, I mean, we're, I said, we're past waist deep now in bowl season. And Florida State has decided we can't have nice things. Now, this is what I'm, I'm being serious here. Um, I want to get the details right. Hey, feel free to jump in. Um, Pete Rose has a reputation to kind of being about Pete Rose. And there was a thought, I believe it was Johnny Bench, um, who Pete Rose had timed his announcement of finally admitting he had gambled on baseball um, and took away a lot of attention from Baseball Hall of Fame weekend. And there is a fair criticism of that. When somebody else has achieved something, well, you kind of let it play out for them, not necessarily saying it has to be about me right now. Florida State has decided we can't have nice things, and we don't care what we're going to do during the middle of bowl season for everybody else. There is no urgency for this. In fact, I'm going to declare there couldn't be less urgency. You have, most likely, until about 2031, and that's not just a random, that's a real different date than 2036 for a reason. 2030 or 31 is different than 36, and it's real and it exists for a reason. But even 2031, way, 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 way down there. 
I do understand in a lot of cases the reasoning. If you hadn't seen this, Florida State, we're filing a legal action of some sort. Florida State will sue the ACC over grant of rights and the exorbitant withdrawal fee. And, hey, look, Maryland, they got out. So Maryland was under a previous agreement, and they were able to negotiate down as as part of it. But in response specifically to Maryland, I mentioned this a couple of months ago. Can you believe the ACC got themselves in this shape over Maryland? Uh, We'll make sure this never happens again. Everybody signed this, and Florida State signed it. But the one, like the one positive, like reason to do this right now, and I live in the adult world, okay? I understand Florida State, the athletic director, the president, the board of regents, everybody in Tallahassee is supposed to be number one, two, three, four, five, six, and one through 50. Their priorities are supposed to be about FSU. They have announced today that they're suing the ACC over a grant of rights and then the withdrawal fee. And the thought is just to negotiate both of those down. We'll have it a little sooner and we'll have it for a little less money, but Hey, why don't we be reasonable here? Um, there is no urgency to this beyond it is top of mind for people right now. And I just say people in general, it is a current hot, warm ish button topic for some people like i don't know governor desantis um and so if we're ever going to get a stage or some sort of attention now is it folks not just bowl games like lsu doesn't have an oc anymore like that's a real like on-field thing and i'm distracted by really they did it they really sued their own conference well, not All only right. did they do it, Chuck, but uh, but the the tantrum is officially now legally verified. This is a quote. pages. This is a quote from FSU's lawsuit: the stunning exclusion of the ACC's undefeated football champion from the twenty three twenty four college football playoff crystallized the years of failures by the ACC to fulfill its most fundamental commitments to Florida State and its members. That is a legal argument that is being made. We're mad. That is the consistency of the legal argument. We're mad. We're not in the playoff, and we're mad. Part of the uh, release statement from Florida State, the chairman of the board, Peter Collins, Board of Regents. I believe this board has been left no choice. Like he's like basically he's putting his wrist together as a handcuff, as folks. We we no choice. He didn't say, but to sue the conference. Did you read this? I believe this board has been left with no choice but to challenge the legitimacy of the ACC. None of us like being in this position. Hey, none of us. I wish, more than anything, wish we weren't here. And what he's saying is, I wish we could negotiate. They don't mind being there in the least. What they wish is that this is the start of the public process where the ACC will say, all right, let's negotiate like we did with Maryland. That's what the whole uh, hope is. And Mike Denbrock left LSU. Like, that's way bigger to me. Here, here's another thing, Chuck. I, I forget who it was that it came up about, but there was a recruit or something, a transfer, and somebody pointed out you can't tweet your way into the transfer portal. There's an actual process. Like, you can't just yell out, I'm declaring bankruptcy like Michael Scott on The Office. You have to actually, you know, file papers and stuff. And and so FSU, as part of this 38-page lawsuit, makes the argument 
it gave its notice to leave the ACC on August 14th of this year. That basically the public tantrum by the Board of Trustees qualifies as notice of leaving the ACC. Again, I am not an attorney, but I am pretty confident that is not in fact how this works. That you do have to file paperwork saying we will leave the ACC on specific date and here is our intent on how we are going to justify our financial obligations. Yeah, you have to be blocked from leaving before you can complain about being blocked from leaving. Yeah, so they're, they're trying to retroactively say that that public tantrum from the board was their announcement that they're leaving. Uh, good luck with that. And then also this, Chuck, you, you had mentioned that uh, for what you heard, maybe FSU was just going to try and be so annoying and so disturbing that maybe they just let them out because of that. As part of the actual legal notes, it's not a message board rant. This is an actual legal document. Quote, the Big 12 has repeatedly passed over for membership a longtime football college school located in its home state of Texas, Southern Methodist University. Even though the Big 12 recently invited three other members from SMU's conference, the American Athletic Conference, which has never been considered a Power 5 conference. So they're basically saying, we took this this clown school that couldn't get into the Big 12, we're taking them into the ACC. That proves that this conference is letting us down, even though the whole point of it is they took them so that they could agree that they would take less money to give more money to FSU. Like, specifically, they did that to try and placate FSU, and now FSU is complaining that they did it. And, oh, by the way... The reason that they don't get in to the Big 12 is because the Big 12 doesn't need more Texas schools. A Texas market for the ACC actually made some sense. But FSU doesn't care, man. They're just trying to burn the whole thing down. Yeah, that was actually the entire impetus for that was for nine years, the league will get more money and none of it will go to Dallas. That means the league for nine years will get more money that we just divide up over everybody who's already in the room. Um, I'll give them credit though, that you find every angle, every possibility. You either argue the facts, you argue the law, you just argue, you put the system on trial. And that is sort of what, uh, FSU was doing right now. Again, we are challenging the legitimacy of the ACC. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Friday on Chuck Oliver Show. Towards the end of December and... State credit suing for fifteen thousand dollars 
and extra on-campus visits, like that's not really going to get the attention. Dropping half a billion dollars into the accusations and just literally going pot like we none of us like being here but and then it just becomes you go after the acc with a pack of bees acc commissioner jim phillips has released a statement and it's a lot of very direct language i don't say tough talk but it's sort of all ACC members, including Florida State, willingly and knowingly re-signed the current grant of rights in 2016, which is wholly enforceable and binding through 2036. I have done cursory research into this. And Heath, does this sound familiar? We have uh, Joe Giglio coming on. Is that right? Okay. Um, I think 2031, there's a little bit of a something there. But uh, Jim Phillips, he says they knew what they were signing. It's wholly enforceable and binding through 36. Every university in the conference has been benefiting from this. And now they want to complain. Um, Folks in Tallahassee are saying, well, that's more than Phillips said about three weeks ago. So this is going to be, I think more than anything, this will be public and loud and maybe a little ugly, but I still don't know what the legal, like the mustard seed here is even for Florida State, other than we'll be loud and ugly. I wish he would have released a statement, Chuck, saying, you know what? I read the lawsuit. They've got a great point. No problem. They can go and be like, dot, dot, dot. No, not really, you morons. Merry Christmas. We'll see you in court. That would have yes. been more fun of a statement than what he actually put out. It it, it was never going to be that way. Welcome on right now from Ovius and Gilio. You know them, the podcast covering everything in North Carolina and the ACC. It is Joe Gilio. Joe, welcome back, friend. How are you today? I'm awesome. Merry Christmas to you, Chuck. Uh, yeah, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, Jim Phillips has released his statement. Florida State is running their medal cup across the bars. Um, give me what you have thought this was going to be, and then because I'll be honest, I thought it was just going to be you know anger in the media. Um, I didn't know there'd be any sort of legal filing. Tell me what you thought this was going to be, or are you at least a little surprised or taken aback that it's official? You know, about 28 things had to happen in order for Florida State to get left out of the college football playoffs, uh, including Georgia losing a football game for the first time in three years. So it was like, uh, of all the things to happen, it's all of the schools and all of the conferences that everything had to line up. Now I'm starting to think, as I, you know, from a distance, keep an eye on Live Golf and the PGA Tour and everything that happened there. I wonder if something similar doesn't happen between the ACC and ESPN. Uh, I think the, the previous deal was brokered, as we all know, by John Swafford, who was a Carolina guy. ESPN was led by John Skipper, a Carolina guy. And I think that deal got done because of the chief players. And now that both of those leaders are gone, I wonder if ESPN doesn't look at the deal and say, you know, we'd be a lot better off rerouting Florida State, Clemson, Louisville, Virginia Tech, and uh, NC State over to the Big 12 and forming some sort of gigantic Big 12 And I wonder if North Carolina and Virginia say, you know, we'd be a whole lot better off competing in the Big Ten. And a lot of the teams that really, quite frankly, don't belong in the ACC are then told, you know, cool, love you, mean it. Uh, You'll really enjoy life in the 
um, FBS minus while we participate in the FBS plus. I, I could see, I could see something happen in there. Basketball really does not stir the drink very much at all, does it? Nope. Um, and it's interesting to hear Brett Yormark's remarks out of the Big 12 that potentially adding some of these schools would bolster Big 12 basketball. Obviously, they're adding Arizona, which is a, uh, a nice coup with Kansas on the basketball front. Um, but you know, it's so weird to think about that the ACC could no longer exist. And I just think, like I said, looking at the live and the PGA model, like if you sit there and threaten this too, a lot of times what these entities will do will, is say, fine, uh, it's cheaper for us to avoid all of that. Now, of course, Florida State has to be committed to it. I think I think they would be. Um, I just wonder, and I, and I, I specifically say the Big 12, Chuck, because I think ESPN owns that property. They own the SEC. I think there would be a significant enough pushback from the schools that matter in the SEC. I'm speaking specifically of Georgia, Alabama, and Florida, that they would say, no, under no circumstance are we interested in adding Florida State and Miami uh, to cut into what we – or Clemson, in, in the case of South Carolina, to cut into what we already have. And that's where I wonder if the play isn't – to do something and shift what is already ESPN's money, mind you, and making and strengthening the Big 12 in this case. Start on Tobacco Road and go all through the ACC. No better authority. Joe Giglio from the Ovius and Giglio podcast. Um, Just fantastic source for info on this conference for sure. Uh, I want to ask you an opinion question here because we all seem to have opinions like Kevin Warren, not a good commissioner. The new guy, better commissioner. Um, Your marks making something out of twos and sevens. Kleafkoff couldn't. Um, What sort of leadership do you think that the ACC is getting from Phillips right now? You know, I... Jim obviously wanted to be the commissioner of the Big Ten, and for whatever reason, that didn't work out. I think probably that reason is he's not forward-thinking. I think his issues are that, that if they've embraced the Kevin White, you know, outdated model of what was never amateur athletics, but what they, you know, are seriously going to die on a hill about right now, and, you know, quite frankly, you don't have to be. You know, we, we see this in the triangle, right? Bubba Cunningham didn't go to Carolina. That doesn't mean he didn't fight tooth and nail with the NCAA when he had to for Carolina. Um, you know, Debbie Yao didn't go to NC State, but, you know, she she obviously had a connection to this school and, and fought for everything that she could for NC State. I, I just think it, it hurts the ACC not to have a person who has any connection at all to the league. And I just wonder if maybe the guy at Syracuse probably wild hack wasn't the better choice because of his relationship with ESPN. Um, you know, I, I just wonder if, if Clemson's, you know, um, or he's at Miami now, Dan Radakovich, maybe he would have been a better choice. Someone who's been at, you know, worked at four different stops in the league. I, I just, I don't, that doesn't mean you can't fight for somebody if you didn't go there, but I just don't see how anything I don't just don't see how he has any real connection to the conference, and I do think it will. I do think it will wither on the vine on on his watch. Wrapping up, Joe Giglio. Um, all right, Dave Doran. He has acknowledged he was wrong, and he has acknowledged TV was more wrong. Um, but I was wrong too. Uh, your take on this? 
Yeah, I, I didn't love it when he said it because I had assumed that he knew the cameras were in there. Um, but I, you know, I don't, I don't. The way that State and Carolina are, you know, some names are going to be called, and I think you get over it. I, I don't think he was calling the players, you know, that you know, the words that were attributed to him. I think that was more of a, hey, Carolina at large, as NC State, this is what our attitude, this is what, as a football program, we think of Carolina. And, I, you know, I do think that's a lock and step in with any other rivalry. You know, that's how you're going to see principal actors, you know, portray the other side. So with that part of it, I don't have an issue. I have more of an issue with Carolina not showing up for the regular season finale. Uh, that was truly an embarrassing moment for the University of North Carolina to not even, you know, show up for a football game against a team who you'll remember last year went to their stadium and planted a flag after the game, and, and everyone was like, "Oh, we'll remember that. We'll remember that." Well, they they clearly didn't remember or, or care, which is uh, quite an interesting way. You know, a lot of the current players at for men's basketball and football at Carolina don't want to acknowledge NC State. Well, the truth of the matter is, in football, NC State's had your number now three years in a row, and, and there's very little that they've been able to do about it. Your opinion, as let you run here, your opinion, is it going to work with Manny at Duke? I don't think so. I understand what Nina King was trying to do in embracing a recruiter and getting into the NIL realm. Um but I, I just – he reminds me a lot of his mentor, Chuck Amato, who didn't win enough with Phillip Rivers and didn't win without him. So uh, in his tenure at Miami, I see, saw a lot of the same mistakes that NC State would make under Chuck Amato. Talented players, but careless, you know, correctable mistakes over and over, procedural penalties, a lack of attention to detail. And I know he's a – I know everybody who knows him enjoys him, just like the people who enjoy Chuck. Um, I just don't think he's a – I think he's a better coordinator and recruiter than he is a head coach. And at Duke, you you got to out-scheme and, and out-coach people the way that Mike Elko did to be successful. Last thing, give me 30 seconds if you want. Um, I don't I don't want to be too simplistic here, but I don't know, tiny student uh, enrollment, tiny alumni fan base. Can Wake Forest survive in the era of name, image, likeness? Now, they have some deep pockets there, Chuck. They got so huge a, money, yeah. There's a medical school and there's a law school. Um, it's just the willingness. I think that's what it comes down to. And I, one of the stories I had read, uh, I think it was the assembly up here in North Carolina, they had raised $75 million basically through the alumni base for uh, athletics. Now, not just NIL, but for athletics. Um, so it'll be interesting and they got they have in my opinion the best coach in, in the country in Dave Clawson in football and Steve Forrest does such a great job in basketball but I could see Wake Forest being one of those schools left behind all right brother I appreciate the insight thank you so much absolutely have a great one and happy new year to Joe Gilio from Ovius and Gilio podcast and I asked that because and I agree, Dave Clawson you know that phrase punching up getting more than you know maybe the weight class indicates Dave Kloss is fantastic at this, but it's getting more and more difficult. I mean, even pre-name image likeness, he had a big, thick, physical quarterback in Jamie Newman who decided to go take his shot at the big stage. The COVID season, he was going to Georgia, and then he wound up opting out, and it never really happened for him after that. Then Sam Hartman decided he was going to throw 110 touchdown passes for Wake Forest, and in his final 12 games, 
play for Notre Dame. Um, that's not a going to be an unusual experience. That Wake Forest in in a normal setting, Wake Forest won't have the money to compete on a year-to-year basis across the breadth of – I mean, it's not just – I'll go back to before anything, before transfers or anything. Your first 22, everybody can have a first 22. It was your second 22 that was going to decide things, and that's not just cliched. It's real for all the reasons we know. Wake Forest, it just got – and I was like, everybody has a pretty good first 22. It just got more – difficult because you have to allocate you have to look across and where we're going to try to build this and it helps that you can have a guy specifically on the offensive side of the ball now there's even more value to be everybody with the hot young offensive and coach the offensive minded guy is even more of a benefit now because uh if he can get more production from the quarterback than maybe his name image likeness price tag suggest or his high school rating or uh i'll be honest if his size and stature suggest he has sam hart like i mentioned jamie newman jamie newman's a big dude sam hartman you know what he was sam hartman's kind of a big dude you know what mitch griffiths is mm, mitch griffiths is about 510 and that's who the quarterback was this year so it's easier to punch up with a guy like the previous two quarterbacks than the guy who was the quarterback for part of this season. So that's what Dave Clawson is saying. He's a fantastic coach. He is, but it just got even more difficult than it already has been every day that he's been the coach of the Demon Deacons. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, wrap up on this Friday, wrap up for the week on the Chuck Oliver show. That's all next. The king of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Ultimately, we all know DJ's talented, but, you know, that's not what makes him exceptional in my opinion, right? It's, It's these intangible things. Uh, that make him a difference maker. So, DJ Lagway, um, he's talented, uh, but there's a lot more uh, to that young man than just the talent. He also plays the same position as the single most important returning Florida Gator on the roster. And I never thought I'd say that about Graham Mertz. Crediting, he did it against an SEC schedule and not, you know, great crew around him, but Graham Mertz is back for another year. Had a Florida fan actually yesterday. Um, I was out for the broadcast, and I got off the air at one. He walked up to me and was a Florida fan. Uh, tell me about Lagway. I was like, oh, here's what I think about Lagway. A lot of what Billy Napier thinks about Lagway. I was like, but Mertz is coming back. So I am not certain whatever the role may be, vital. Had to get him into the program. I can't promise you what he's going to do. Quarterback is, there's a, there's a way to have a second quarterback, and they are wildly different in what they do. So there's that. Good good for Billy Napier. Um, this is not, you know, Buffalo Bison as far as style 
and one kid's just younger. No, he's a he's a really different kid than Graham Mertz, and so there's an opportunity there. Tebow was a really different kid than than Chris Leak at the time. There's been all kinds of situations where, like, and it's weird because you have one offense, but there have been situations where you have quarterbacks of really different, and I'll say complementary or completing skills, and you can kind of do some things. Uh, it doesn't have to be Joey Matthews and Brent Schaefer. But it certainly can be Joey Matthews and A.J. Suggs and Brent Schaefer, where maybe one guy doesn't look like the rest of them when it comes to running the football. So that's what they got, and D.J.'s in the program now. L.J. McCray also in the program. Five-star defensive lineman uh, who we talked about on Wednesday was the one who was in question. D.J. had his paper signed. They were just going to do it in a ceremony later in the day. McCray, you didn't know for sure. Uh, and then also Miles Graham, who after those first two five-star, Ernest Graham's kid was the highest-ranked recruit that they signed, and dad's not happy, and why is dad not happy? Here's the thing about Ernest. He's like most parents. Dad's not happy if you think he screwed with his kid. He's a grown man. Come what may, he's probably had worse before. I don't know. When you get to be like 40, you probably had worse before. Don't screw with my kid. And Miles Graham is, he's big time recruit, runner and hitter. What do you want a linebacker? All runners and hitters. Supposed to be Miles Graham. And he's not happy. So really was a day that was all over. And they did lose the kid to Texas. And you knew that was happening. They lost the other kid to Auburn. Um, They had some losses. But it was all over the spectrum as far as uh, recruiting and then the coaching. Uh, thing happened again with a couple of guys leaving. Heath, how's the Friday going, man? Man, this lawsuit, Chuck, uh, this is going to provide me fantastic reading material for the holiday weekend uh, because, again, you got 38 pages from FSU. The ACC has now filed a counterclaim. I guess they filed apparently, uh, got it ready and filed it yesterday at Mecklenburg County, which is where Charlotte is, where their headquarters are, that, among other things, as you would expect, makes the case that Anything involving the conference's dealings with FSU are subject to North Carolina law, not Florida law. Uh, One of the many things they'll go back and forth. But, Chuck, we have, as people go through this, we have the first straight-up indisputable direct fabrication slash outright lie in the FSU lawsuit. Uh, This is a verbatim quote from the lawsuit here about the history of the ACC. Quote, Those seven withdrawing members became charter members of the ACC. Since then, two, the University of South Carolina and the University of Maryland have withdrawn from the ACC. South Carolina withdrew and ultimately joined the Southeastern Conference, while Maryland withdrew to join the Big Ten. Ostensibly, both withdrew from the ACC for financial reasons. Maryland? Yeah, you bet. That was financial. Everybody knows that. That was straight up, hey, we're broke. We need some dough. Let's go to the Big Ten. Chuck, they could get half the state of South Carolina to testify about the reasons they left the ACC. And it sure wasn't about, hey, 20 years from now, we're going to join the SEC and get rich. That, that's not stretching the truth. That's plastic man level stretching the truth right there. They'll tell you all day about how they hate the ACC and, and why they left. And it was not, oh, we're going to get more money in the SEC in 20 years. That's just nonsense. No, and that I'm sure, because I, I had read the the highlights of the the claims from Florida State, and I mentioned this earlier that um, I had seen a list of basically eight major claims 
Um, and in none of the eight major claims did I see anything that even on first blush from somebody with a degree in English literature uh, looked like it would hold water legally. And then I got to a list. There was an additional list with, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek, but not of, and here is just stuff that they claim that they want to use as corroborating, quote, evidence, and that was one of the points. And I'm imagining in Columbia, they're like, how do we get drug into this? Yeah, I, I just would love to, the, the debate between those old-school Gamecock fans, because we're talking people, you know, 60s, 70s, who remember that era now. The choice between, on the one hand, I'm testifying to help the ACC, but on the other, I'm, I'm getting to tell the truth about how mad we were at the ACC. That would be that would be yeah. quite a conflict. You might have a hostile witness in court. One other quick note, Chuck. You mentioned earlier Mike Denbrock leaves LSU to go to Notre Dame. Uh, Cortez Hankton, the quarterback coach, wide receiver Joe Sloan, going to be the co-OCs for their bowl game, and then we'll see what they do from there. Yep. So that's where we sit today. Florida State making their claims of... Various ways they are the aggrieved party, and then let's bring historical context into it as well. And so this is starting to play out. Uh, wraps it up on a Friday. Wraps it up for the week for David, for Heath, for all of the guests. Appreciate everybody coming here. A couple of days recharge the batteries. Then back on Tuesday with Chuck Oliver show talking college football. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Hey, sandwich lovers, today's your lucky day. There's a whole new way to roll for lunch or dinner delight with Nucky's Hoagies in the Roswell Corners Shopping Center. Now open, Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell is family owned and operated by the subsisters, Stacy and Shannon, whose love language is food and Nucky's Hoagies, their passion. When you bite into a Nucky's Hoagie, you'll taste the difference. The softest hoagie rolls ever, along with hunger-quenching sandwich combinations. Make Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell on Woodstock Road your new favorite spot for lunch or dinner. 